Oh, welcome to the Future of Dermatology podcast. I am so excited today. We have a fantastic celebrity dermatologist with us. We have Dr. Azadeh Shirazi, best known as Dr. Azadeh by her patients and online. And she is so fantastic. She does so many things that it's, it was actually leading up to this podcast. It was hard for me to figure out what to focus on specifically. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. That's so much fun. And Dr. Oz is in San Diego. She, of course, is a fantastic cosmetic dermatologist, a board-certified dermatologist, um, but also does so much education online. And I think you have just perfected that world. It's, it's something we all need to be doing, but it's not a comfortable skill set for everybody. It's not, yeah. So you're just doing that so, so well, so successfully. Well, I'm glad that it comes across that way because I still struggle with it. It's still really hard for me, even though I'm getting better and better after all these years. But it is really difficult to like put yourself out there and, you know, be vulnerable to people's opinions and how you look. And, you know, we all have our own set of insecurities and things that we see in ourselves that bother us. So to have that, you know, online all over the place can be challenging, but you know, it's one of those things that I'm passionate about and I've worked to overcome. It definitely is easier than day one, but um, it, it's still something that I enjoy doing. So great at it. And I always learned so much from all your posts. Um, and one of the things we focus on more on, on the Future Dermatology podcast as well, it's kind of also knowing our past to know where neurodermatologists are going in the future. So we always love to hear as little or as much as just your training, background, different practice modalities you've been in, where you are now, any, any, any comments you would make about that journey that board-certified dermatologists make? Yeah, so I um, was born in Iran. I, I actually ended up growing up in Kentucky, of all places, and then slowly migrated out west. I went to the Mayo Clinic, and then UCSD is where I finished my dermatology residency. And at the end of my residency, I joined a large uh, multi-specialty clinic, uh, and it was good at the beginning, but then it became very corporate. I really didn't like, you know, how bureaucratic and how big and corporate medicine was becoming. And, you know, as dermatologists, we're fortunate in that we can still break away from the hospital systems and some of those big, you know, clinic sort of facilities. And after 10 years of being there, I decided I wanted something more personalized. I wanted a smaller, more boutique kind of practice where, you know, I wanted to make the reception area like it was the, like the living room in my house. You know, I wanted patients to come in and feel really comfortable. And I wanted to have all these amenities that, you know, helped with just making them feel, you know, calm and, and secure and just welcomed and well taken care of. And so I opened up um, my own private practice, which was the scariest thing I've ever done. I mean, I was like, I'm going against the trend. Nobody is doing solo private practice. It's all these big organizations, either PE, you know, backed group of several dermatologists. And people were telling me, oh, you're going to go into the village. My practice is in the village, I call it, which is this little coastal community. And 
there used to be 14 dermatologists that practiced there and there were zero because they had all closed shop to move out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm totally going against the trend. I'm even going the wrong direction. Like nobody's practicing in this little village. So, but it still worked out for me. And, you know, we talked about social media before in social media became a way for me to show people, you know, what I could do and, and the treatments, you know, I can provide and, and so forth. So that's how I initially started on social media. Um, and so, yeah, so now I've had my practice for over five years and it's not easy because you're 24 hours a day, you're thinking about it, you're, you're dreaming about it. Even when you're not there, you're still working, but it, it is a passion project of mine. And I'm really proud of what I've built and the people that, you know, have helped me and, and my team that takes care of our patients. And, and so, um, yeah, so I'm, I do a little bit of everything. I do mostly cosmetics, I would say, you know, 70, 80%, but I still do a little bit of medical derm. I do have a FPA that helps me with the medical derm side and, um, and uh, I do some surgery, but yeah, just, um, you know, all different types of dermatology we do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And we've talked a lot about that on different episodes too, of that fear of going into private practice, whereas dermatologists, I think we're all in private practice traditionally. And now I think like less than 5% go into private practice or something like that. I honestly feel like we're brainwashed not to, you know, you were kind of brainwashed not to do it. I don't know if it's like a comfort thing. I don't know if it's, it's probably just generalized like healthcare uh, mentality that doctors can't survive on their own, but we're really the, the reason people come to see us. So I want all doctors to have their own private practice and, and, you know, be able to practice the way they feel is best for patients. And I do truly believe you can do it and um, it's doable. So if you're thinking of doing it and you're listening to this podcast, it's doable. You should do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great advice. But it's, it's true. Another episode, we talked about that where it's sort of like, I don't think we've ever seen a private practice doc not totally successful and happy. So it's sort of like dermatologists won't fail if, if that is, you know, something you're thinking about. It's definitely worth doing. Um, and then you touched on the social media piece. I would love to kind of delve into that a little bit because I think it's an area that it snuck up on physicians. I don't think, it, I think it was definitely years before we even realized that our patients are getting more of their information there than in our clinic. I mean, we, we've all had the patients, like we had a patient for a year that I was saying, we just need to get on Accutane. And finally she came to me and said, I saw a post on Instagram. So now I'm comfortable going on Accutane. So like, you know, you really realize now they're getting a lot of, and I can relate that to that too. Like anytime I was being pregnant with any of my children, for some reason you just turn to other people to see their stories and, learn information. So when you're like in this vulnerable place where you're trying to make health decisions, people go to social media. So it took a while for docs, I think, to even realize that, you know what, like the information is out there. <laughs> and I think physicians have been educating for a long time in different ways. We have our acceptable ways of educating, right? Like if you're doing like a skin cancer screening walk and we're out there and those are traditional things. But for some reason, this shift of where patients are is social media. And so that's where we need to be as credible sources. Um, so that, that shift has been hard. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah. You know, you bring up a really interesting point in that we as physicians were slow to embrace social media. And, you know, it was something that you just didn't do. It wasn't professional. It wasn't something 
that you should be doing. In fact, one of the reasons I left that big corporate practice I was in is I wanted to publish my before and afters online and they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me do Instagram. Oh, wow. They wouldn't let me show my work or any of that. And so I felt so restricted and I'm like, well, why would anybody want to come to me for any of these cosmetic procedures? They don't, they can't even see my work. And so that was one of my battles that I was like, you know, I just, I can't practice this way. I can't be so restrictive. But, you know, back in the day when Instagram started and when, you know, Kylie Jenner and, you know, the Kardashians were on there and it was all like the influencer pictures you would see and celebrities were on there and that's what people were going on there. But it's really changed over, I would say, the last maybe five to seven years even, where it's now become a way to connect with not only patients, but your colleagues and you know other uh, media content producers that you would otherwise never really connect with. So people go on there, it's almost like a website. They wanna see your work, they wanna see what you're about, they wanna you know, see where you, what your beliefs are and how you view things and, and your personality and where, you know, what you stand for, you know, all of those things. And there's just such power in connecting with such a wide, you know, array of, of people in, in the world, really. I mean, I have, I have patients that I see from, from Europe and I've had patients come from places like Barbados and Australia and England and Japan, and they all found me on social media. So the reach, the amount of reach you have on social media is just, it is just nothing like it. You can't really get that anywhere else. And certainly there's different ways to use social media. I mean, we've all seen doctors on there that we say, well, maybe that's not exactly how I would, you know, um, present myself or, or whatnot, but uh, it's, it's whatever you stand for, however way you want to uh, connect with that audience. And, and it has a way of connecting you with the right you know, clientele or the right patient base or the right population base. But for me, I really enjoyed educating the consumer because I would see patients come in and, and they would find these, you know, these creams and this advice online and I'd be like, why, why would you do something? It's because, you know, they were listening to these influencers and people that have no idea what, you know, what the skin's about and, and skin conditions or any of that. And I felt like as dermatologists, as physicians, we really have a duty to the public to be on there with science-backed, um, you know, evidence and really good advice that was legit. And I could that wasn't really around, especially when I started out, there was a lot of misinformation and, you know, it was like the wild, wild west, anybody could say anything. Uh, and so I felt like I had a duty to uh, make sure the public had my viewpoint as a board certified dermatologist uh, about things that, you know, maybe they couldn't get in to see a dermatologist and maybe they were wondering what that rash was on their face. And in 30 seconds, you know, now with TikTok, uh, what I call the TikTokization of social media is, you know, deliver that, you know, valuable information in a short period of time. And, uh, you know, you could really help, uh, help people out that couldn't otherwise see us. 
Yeah, it's a really good point, too, is like at the core of the medical field and being a physician is public service. And so maybe not everybody has access to come and see you from, but then they're getting the knowledge, they're getting your knowledge base, your years of expertise. So um, it's fantastic. And you're doing such an amazing job at it because I think there's, it's so educational what you're saying, but you're also very fun to watch, which I think some, some <laughs> physicians might be lacking that part of, they might have the knowledge base, but they kind of lose the, the delivery of it. And I think that's the same as even you know, good professors versus bad professors in college, right? There's like the ones that everybody falls asleep in their lecture and there's ones that make it fun because they're creating and presenting the information in like a fun, fun ways. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it has to be entertaining because it is social media, you know, it's, um, but uh, yeah, so I think whatever your personality, I think all of us have some, you know, sense of uh, personality in, our, in, in ourselves that if, if you let that shine, then, you know, you can connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also touched on the skincare part. There's so much stuff out there. And I'm one of those where I think a lot of skincare should be started by dermatologists. I mean, people who know skin really, really well. I had so much fun looking over your skincare line because I think as, as germs, all of our patients bring different lines just all the time, right? And we might look at the ingredient list and usually you look at it for like 10 seconds and you're like, okay, here's your cream bag. But I, can, I started looking at your ingredient list of things you're putting into your line. And I was like, okay, hold on. Let's grab a glass of wine and read this ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> because it's really, you can tell the thought process that went behind it. And like you can, you can as, a, as another dermatologist looking at it, you can see where the science, what, what was happening in the mind of another dermatologist creating it. Um, well, I never really intended, yeah. I actually never really intended to have a skincare line. I, I didn't initially. <laughs> it's like all these things I never meant for this. No, but the reason was like exactly what you said is I would have patients come in and they were using all these products from all these different lines. And I was, it was making my life so hard because I had to go and look up this product and this product and this product. I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to bring 10 products and I can pretty much at least control what's going on their skin. And I could probably treat, you know, a lot of skin conditions, you know, throwing a prescription into this regimen. And that's all I have to know. I don't have to worry about them telling me they're on this oil and that oil. I could be like, okay, look, this is your regimen. I know these products and I know I can improve your skin with this set. And so I really did it initially just because, I couldn't keep up with everything. And I'm not saying like my skincare line is the best, but I know mine better than anyone else's. And that just makes my life easier. It makes my patient's life easier because then it's not like we're, you know, spending all this time looking up ingredients and things. And, and what was that process like? I'm sure that probably was like a whole two hour just talking about how to start a skincare line. But um, leading up to this, I actually got some of your, the eye creams, they were fantastic, but they're really great quality. So I'm sure you've probably spent a lot of time in figuring out the manufacturing and like getting it actually made right. Because there's like the ingredients on paper, then there's the actual final product. How much time did that take? And Yeah, it's... It, it is, it can be really time consuming, but what really I, my goal was, is to make comprehensive products. So a product would not just have one active in it because I really only wanted to have three steps. And I, and this is 
what I do personally is I don't like having all these different serums and all these different creams to be able to get all these amazing ingredients into my skincare regimen. So my goal was to really have products that were comprehensive. So you mentioned like the iGlow PM, the night cream, what well, has retinol, it has arnica, it has vitamin K, you know, that all addresses dark circles. It has niacinamide, it has, um, you know, hyaluronic acid, it doesn't have any fragrance or anything like that. So, you know, taking all these ingredients that target different aspects of dark circles and bring it into one product, uh, like caffeine for puffy under eyes. And so, and just making it just that one product. So you don't have to, you know, have three different eye creams because you've got three different concerns, you know? Uh, and so, um, that's kind of like how that product made the line. And then the iGlow AM, which has sunscreen in it, but it's also very hydrating as a peptide serum and it has sunscreen in it. Cause a lot of times like sunscreen can cause a little bit of irritation in the under eye. So that one is purely mineral based and designed for thin eyelid skin. So I really wanted just comprehensive products. I didn't want to, you know, have to use a bunch of different ones. Yeah, no, that definitely comes through too. Because when you look at the ingredient list, that, that kind of comes through. You're like, oh, everything I would want is in there. <laughs> and it's made so well. And actually, you bring up the eyes. So you have a fantastic filler that you do under the eye. I think that you've been on you know, multiple different shows and magazines and things talk, talking about this. Um, that probably also takes a long time to discuss, but just a few minutes. What are you doing with the, you're, you're kind of trying to just make it a little bit more opaque so you're not getting the Tyndall effect as much with the tear trough filler. That's right. Yeah. So most most physicians will use a clear hyaluronic acid gel under the eyes. Well, eye glow is a opaque filler, so you can't see through it, and it's white. And so the reason I use it is because one, it doesn't allow the light to scatter and so you don't get that Tyndall effect the blue hue but also the white that gets under the skin has a brightening effect uh, and I also use a cannula when I do it I go in from the cheek so it's not very traumatic you know to the to the delicate skin there and so um, it stays for a really long time I mean I personally have had it twice in my I'm 45 so I've had it twice in the last 15 years and then in my patients, usually once or twice, it tends to last for a really long time. And because it's placed very deep on the bone, it doesn't dissolve very quickly. And uh, you don't really see, it tends to lift everything from the deeper layers up. So you don't, you're not really seeing it under the skin like the other fillers. So I, I feel like it looks very natural. The other component to it is it helps support some of the ligaments that we see that get stretched with age, the facial ligaments. Uh, so there's a, a lot of different components that I found to be better or, you know, more beneficial than the traditional filler. That's fantastic. We have to have you come up here for one of our SFDERM events to show us all of your wonderful <laughs> tools and cosmetic things that you do. It's so much fun. I think it's probably so much fun to work in your practice. Are you guys just coming up with different innovative things to do? every day when it comes to cosmetics and aesthetics? You know, I, I love creativity and growing up, I always had projects, you know, I was always doing a bunch of projects. So I, if I see something that I feel like it's going to, you're probably the same way. I mean, what you've come up with the germ GPT, I think is fascinating. And so I think as human beings, that's what keeps us 
you know, happy and, and uh, energetic and, uh, you know, keeps us, keeps us moving forward. And, and uh, really, um, uh, innovation has always been at the heart of dermatology. We're always the ones sort of, you know, front and center of a lot of these treatments. So I think it just comes from my passion for creativity and to make things better for our patients. So fantastic. I think it kind of goes back full circle. We kind of talked about practice settings. That I think those are things that make dermatologists at least very happy. So if they're in private or these settings that are constricting them and they're not able to show that side of them, that's probably leading to some of all the burnout and everything that everyone's kind of talking about because those are the fun parts. Yeah, you have to have fun. You know, it's a lot of hard work, but it's also fun. And when you start something, you know, you can't, it's not going to be perfect the first time, the second time, you know, it's not going to be great that even that first year, it takes time, you know, for things to develop and mold and get better and better and better. And some of these things that you may just see me, you know, come up with, or, or if I've been doing, it took, you know, 10 years, it took five, 10 years in the making to do. So it's, you have to be patient and um, accept the setbacks, as you know, having your own project. That's true. Yeah, not everything just goes perfectly. And then there's projects that you dump too, right? Like for oh, every yes. two or three that come out, there's probably yes. five more that didn't quite make it. So I think it's part of it. It's part of the fun of it. Um, and then, so this is the future of Dermatology Podcast. So we always at the end ask the question, what do you kind of see coming up in the future of dermatology? Like what things do you think are going to change or what are you most excited about? That's a broad question, but... I think AI is going to be huge in dermatology. I think just like it's going to be in different aspects of healthcare for the better, you know, in terms of, like you said, saving time so that you can get home and, and get to do the things you love to do. So you're not stuck at work writing prior off letters or, you know, um, it's just mundane tasks that you don't want to be doing that somebody else like a, a robot could do for you. So I think that's really exciting and really great. I think it's going to make our EMRs better. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. And then I think regenerative medicine is going to be huge too. Uh, you know, we're hearing a lot about exosomes and, and certainly stem cells and there's companies out there that are taking your hair and, you know, storing it, banking it, and hope, hoping to make, you know, stem cells, uh, lots and lots of stem cells so you can look like you're 30 forever and ever. <laughs> I know, there's so much fantastic things coming. Yeah, so I think uh, that's going to be um, another uh, trend that will continue to to unfold and develop. Um, I think in the, in the terms of, you know, in fillers and, you know, cosmetic, uh, dermatology, the injectables, you know, we're sort of moving further away from just wanting to fill faces and wanting to now, you know, stimulate your own skin to form lost vital structures. And so biostimulation is a, a very trendy term, hot term right now, where you're getting your own skin to, you know, generate um, new, you know, hyaluronic acid, collagen, elastin, all these things. So I'm excited to see uh, what's going to be coming up, you know, on the pipeline for that. All oh, that's so exciting. And we do, it's so interesting bringing up the filler thing. I think when I started practicing in Silicon Valley, I was kind of like ready to go, had all my fillers, everything, like, yeah, I got all the things I can do. 
And everybody here was like so scared of fillers. I don't know how it is down in Southern California. Well, I think we've overfilled enough faces where we're seeing the detrimental effects, you know, like one, the fillers are not dissolving at like they, like we thought they were dissolving. And then two, I think with hyaluronic acid, as you know, high molecular weight hyaluronic acid is anti-inflammatory, but as these fillers get broken down and you get these smaller, you know, low molecular weight hyaluronic acid uh, under the skin, it becomes pro-inflammatory. So you're also getting this kind of chronic inflammation happening under the skin for many, many years. And we're seeing, you know, the potential you know, side effects of that. So I think we're more careful and more selective about the amount of fillers, how we're placing them, you know, the techniques and, and all of that is sort of becoming, coming into play. Yeah, absolutely. So, so many interesting things kind of coming up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We learned so many great things. You're just doing so many fantastic things in the field. It's, it's really, really fun to see. Thank you so much. That's very sweet. I'm just having a good time. <laughs> Hopefully we can get you up to whatever SF Durham events. I would love to kind of see all the things you're doing, but this is the under eye filler. You have to teach us those techniques. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, that would be fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Sounds good. Thanks again.